Hey there, this is Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this is the final week of Spoopy Month. Unfortunately, this is the end of the road. At least for October. But... I am particularly excited to talk about this movie because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, I feel like the previous movies we've discussed this month, they have had varying levels of scariness and gore and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, all those three previous spooky movies had an element of cheese. Yes. Some had 80s cheese. Some had... Early 2000s cheese. Some had Disney cheese. The cheesiest of all the cheeses, but... Yeah, it's a great Parmesan. Indeed. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sure. In that analogy, maybe. I don't know. The point is, though, guys, okay, despite all that sharp and soft, varied cheese we've had this month, this movie we're about to talk about really is cheeseless. It's quite dairy-free, I would say. Yeah. It is... A little meaty. Uh, yes. In in the best way possible, I think. Now, we are discussing the horror classic, The Fly. Yes. Released in 1986. Indeed it was. And it stars Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Ooh, baby. Yes, this was during a time when... For those of you that don't know, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis were a hot ticket item. They had started dating, I think, around 1985 when they met on another movie that I've heard of, but I've never seen it. I think Scott's seen it, and it's supposed to be shitty. Transylvania 6500,000. I don't know what the fuck. Transylvania 65000. Yeah, I heard it's not good. It's a comedy that I think over time has lost, like, it's funniness like it was funnier back in the day and now it's kind of like eh. and it's slow and boring and so so not good is what i'm trying to i was right when i said not good yes you were okay. correct uh <laughs> but uh the good thing that came out of that is that they met and started dating and then they did this film the fly they were still dating and got married in i think 87 but then it didn't last i think they got divorced in the early 90s but during this movie a big element of what makes it good is the chemistry between the two main leads which we will definitely get to but um when you watch this movie because there's a lot of shirtless Jeff Goldblum in this movie. You'd think that shirtless Jeff Goldblum began in Jurassic Park, right? Because yes. there's that infamous moment where he's posed in his Jeff Goldblum pose, you know, and doing the whole thing. Indeed. But, yeah, I guess it started in this movie, really. But the man has recently turned 70 years old. So I just thought I'd put that out there for anyone that was feeling a little old around this time. Here's... A newsflash you are, because Jeff Goldblum <laughs> is 70 years old. <laughs> and God damn it, Jeff Goldblum still looks fucking good. I mean, absolutely. Definitely, yes. Yes, yes, yes. We obviously talked about him rather recently when we talked about uh, Thor Ragnarok. But uh, yeah, he's the shit, obviously. So The Fly is directed and co-written by David Cronenberg a.k.a. the king of venereal horror, the baron of blood, as some might call him. 
originally i think tim burton was supposed to direct this movie which is weird but it's 80s burton so but I, still weird it's, i mean beetlejuice is great i think that was in the 80s right yes so yeah i mean it would have been good but it just would have been a totally different vibe i think well i think this could have worked with burton at the time i agree I'm not saying it would have been bad. I'm just saying it would have been a totally different movie. We probably would have gotten stop motion somewhere. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the movie itself lends to that potentially to using stop motion at parts but we'll, we'll get to all that good stuff but what i'll say about cronenberg i actually haven't seen any of his other movies i really only know him by this movie and just like his general reputation uh i know he's known for just having a lot of like crazy imagery super gory super gross like he did a movie called Scanners, which I know I've never seen it, but I know it has like allegedly the best head explosion in a movie of all time. That's what I've heard. Uh, I know of the movie Naked Lunch that I've never watched because I heard it has giant bugs in it. <laughs> but yeah, he's just known to do crazy shit. I know he has another movie where Christopher Walken plays like a killer psychic or something. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of his bag, though. Uh, like, I have a bunch of his movies on my watch list. Like, uh, I have Videodromes on my watch list. Scanners, of course. But yeah, he's just... He has a reputation. Yeah, rewatching this movie definitely made me want to put other Cronenberg movies on my watch list. So, I, I definitely want to dive down into that rabbit hole so we'll see if we come out the other side the same way we came in but for the time being i'm gonna hit you with some more fun facts here now the other co-writer on the movie is charles edward pogue he wrote the original script for the movie which is actually based on a short story from the 50s but essentially when cronenberg got the movie he just took the script and totally reworked it but he still got writing credit but uh, another funny thing that's when you first hear it, it sounds weird, but when you think about it, it makes sense. Mel Brooks was actually an uncredited producer on the film. He didn't want his name attached to it at all because he didn't want to influence the audience and make them think that this is like a weird comedy or something. But it makes sense because, you know, when we've done comedy in the past and done like community theater and stuff, it comes up all the time that like comedy and tragedy are very connected there's a very thin line between those two genres essentially so it makes sense why mel brooks would want to be attached to this oh yeah of course and one more thing i want to mention about like the people that really crafted this movie i feel like the score is something we need to touch upon throughout the film the score really does a great job at following the ebbs and flows of the story there yes. are so many big, bombastic, scary moments, but then also so many, like, quiet, emotional, almost, like, maudlin, sad moments, and it perfectly just rides that wave with the plot as well as the audience. It really just takes us on the journey, and I really appreciate that. So I wanted to mention the composer, Howard Shore, who has done other Cronenberg movies in his career, but also has two Oscars under his belt for Lord of the Rings and he, I think he also did the Hobbit movies yeah so definitely a, a talented fella the thing I do want to touch on in this movie is well yes this movie is a horror movie 
don't think it's just a horror. Like, if this movie was just slightly different, this could have been a rom-com, honestly. Yes, that's what I, I like about it. I usually personally don't like horror movies a lot unless it's horror mixed with something. Because I don't really do straight horror. I know, Scott, you do, but I, I really don't vibe with straight horror that much. <laughs> this is much more of a, a tragedy tied in with body horror. Yes. Body uh, horror is a big Cronenberg thing, I believe. But we, so. only, we only get, like, we have one scene of body horror, like, early on. Mm-hmm. But we don't get to the body horror till like... Like, like maybe at least halfway through, yeah. if not more so. Uh, and then it just progressively gets worse and worse. Um, which brings me, of course, to the makeup in the movie. This movie is an Oscar winner, The Fly. It won a single Oscar for Best Makeup. And uh, it went to Chris Wallace and his designing team, who also was the designer of the Gremlins for ah. the Gremlins movie. But um, yeah, they chose <laughs> between doing this movie, The Fly, and Gremlins 2, they chose to do this because it was more of a challenge. And uh, I can imagine so, because some of the makeup and like prosthetic work in this movie is just insanity. Oh, yeah, especially when we get to the full end bit. Yeah, yeah it gets fucking nuts. It's, it's insanely, insanely insane and insanely amazing. So we're, we're definitely going to get into that with more gusto as we get into the actual plot. But, yeah, this movie is pretty dope. I was glad to revisit it. It's something that I have wanted to show Scott for a while. I purchased it on Blu-ray for the specific purpose of showing Scott the movie in the best quality possible. And um yeah. So Scott, have you seen the original like the 50s The Fly by no. the way? I haven't either. All I know really about that movie it, it was in like 58, I believe, and it starred Vincent Price. And it's supposed to be like a classic horror film. I don't know much about it. I think it's just it it might be like a similar plot to this, but the obviously the makeup department was lacking in the 50s. So I think it's just a guy with a fly head. I don't know. I really know nothing about it, but it's supposed to be really good. Well, the thing about the <laughs> Vincent Price movies is, uh, which I've watched a couple of his movies in the past, they usually are, when you watch them nowadays, they come off quite goofy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Um, but just like generally, before we get into the nitty gritty, why don't you give us the tea on your overall thoughts on the movie, like without any spoilers or anything, but like, what did you think going into this? Were you surprised, let down? No, I was. I definitely wasn't let down. I I knew going in about the body horror, of course, because it's Cronenberg, you know what you're getting into. <laughs> I thought it was going to be more prevalent in the movie. I also didn't realize how much of like a tragedy it kind of was. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, this movie is a very small cast. Oh, yes. I literally have one, two, three, four people on my cast list, and one of them is an animal. So, <laughs> yeah, very small cast. Well, and you could probably do a stage show version of The Fly very easily. Just not without as much makeup, probably, but... <laughs> It's really good, and the f- other thing is, <laughs> this whole movie could have been avoided if it wasn't for a drunken mistake. Yeah, yeah, guys, uh, don't drink and teleport. <laughs> That's really the message of this movie. 
don't drink and teleport and don't get jealous of your significant other's former relationships you know just be confident in yourself and your romantic prowess don't worry about other motherfuckers that's the lesson of the movie (laughs) even though i believe really the point of the film according to Cronenberg was like it's an analogy for aging and disease and stuff which makes sense when you get into it but yeah no the base lesson that one would learn if they don't want to do any deep digging into the (laughs) into the analysis is just don't drink and do science experiments exactly okay so I think we're ready to get into the nitty-gritty let's do it okay I'm I'm a little scared to be re-traumatized by the sadness of this movie, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. Let's all hold hands and get through it together. So uh, we open up with our opening credits, and it just comes right out the gate. So powerful. So just, like, zaps you directly into whatever the fuck is going on. Howard Shore's score here in the opening credits just completely overpowers you and I in the best way, really. Well, not only that, you also just dive right into the plot. Like, oh yes, there's really no introductions at all into like you know exposition or anything. They just go right in there. <laughs> like we go to this science party. The details don't necessarily matter. It's a little like meet and greet party with this like sciencey organization and this is where our two main characters meet we have seth brundle played by jeff goldblum and uh, just to kind of give you guys a gauge on what era of goldblum we're dealing with here in case you didn't get it from our previous discussion it's literally 10 years before independence day <laughs> so if you thought independence day goldblum was baby-faced it's even before that <laughs> Well, the thing is, just looking at this movie, I kept joking because I wrote down the note, who has the better hair, Gina Davis or Jeff Goldblum? I mean, it's tough. <laughs> it's a tough answer to give, I think. Because they're both very flowing. and. Oh, yeah, they're for sure flowy and beautiful. They got lovely manes going on. But, of course, yeah, we meet uh, Veronica, or Ronnie, as she's called in the movie. She is played by Gina Davis. This was two years before Beetlejuice. And we obviously talked about her also pretty recently with Thelma and Louise. But yeah, she's the shit in this movie as well. She's a journalist. So basically they're flirting at this party like immediately. And I think because, I mean, I'm sure it helped that they were already in a relationship. You immediately want them to fuck. Like they <laughs> they just have like all of the fuck me energy going on over there. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum has this whole thing where he's like, these guys don't know what they're doing. I have something that's going to change the world. And she's like, okay, buddy, sure. The way they jump right into the story here and really don't give much background on the characters or anything, it comes off very much like a Twilight Zone episode or like a Lovecraftian tale. Like You can tell this comes from a short story. (laughs) But yeah, Jeff Goldblum is like... Ooh, baby, come back to my lab. <laughs> it's like, all right, does that work on anybody else? Okay. Come back to my lab <laughs> in this warehouse, in this broken down neighborhood. With a fucking grand piano in the middle of it. Like, it's very much 80s Phantom of the Opera. 
Jeff Goldblum is like, I have these pods, you see, these teleportation pods. And hey, baby, why don't you give me something and I'll put it in the pod and put it in that pod with science. And Gina Davis like sexily and slinkily takes off one of her stockings and puts it in one pod. And then it zaps into the other pod, which I mean, the visual effect isn't great but it's it's the 80s and it's like two seconds and trust me when you get to the actual practical effects that come later you won't give a fuck about (laughs) that shit it's like whoa (laughs) but there's a problem i can only do inanimate objects ah yes but okay let's look at this logically even if you wanted to keep working on it to try and make it eventually do like people animals all that good stuff the ability to be like, hey, I can teleport this inanimate object from New York City to California in a heartbeat is a billion-dollar idea on its own. Right. Well, they do mention that later that, like, the Postal Service would cease to exist, which, like, yeah, but also Jeff Goldblum wants, like, the glory of the biggest thing possible, so he wants to sit on it, which is why when... Seth finds out that Ronnie has recorded a bunch of stuff on this giant ass tape recorder in her purse and runs off. He's like, ah, fuck. So she runs back to her editor to try to convince him to run this story. And Seth eventually meets her there and like stops her and he offers to have her work with him and, you know, he'll give her the exclusive on this, you know, just help like sit on it for now and then help me get to where I need to be with this whole thing. And then once they get there, you'll be right there by my side and you'll get the exclusive. And she's like, all right, fine. But another important thing about that particular scene is that we meet Gina Davis's shitty ass editor who pretty much plays the heel of this movie. I won't say villain because there's really not a villain necessarily, but he's definitely an asshole, this guy. He's a perv. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. And his name is Stathis, and he's played by John Getz. He's a character actor in a lot of film and television. But uh, yeah, he plays an asshole like no other. He is a creep with Gina Davis. There's one point in the movie where he just like shows up at her apartment because it's established that they used to bang. And he just shows up at her apartment and, like, takes a random shower. And he's like, so, can we fuck? And (laughs) she's like, "Uh, no. (laughs) Like, he's always asking her, hey, let's fuck. And she's like, fuck off. But then, like, there are a couple points later in the movie where, like, he actually is nice to her and, like, helps her out. So it's like he clearly has some morality. It's just a very tiny little bit. (laughs) Well, also, apparently, Gina Davis was the best lay he's ever had, so, you well, know. Well, no one's shocked by that, sir. It's Gina Davis, okay. After this whole thing, it is now established that Seth and Veronica are going to be working together in close proximity for the sake of science. So now they're going to definitely fuck. Yes, science! Science? But yeah, they started out with, hey, we're going to put this baboon... In the teleportation pod. Yes, this is where we get our first big instance of like body horror and grossness. We put the baboon in the telepod and we try to transport the baboon and shit goes wrong. Scott, why don't you describe how shit went wrong in this moment? The monkey turned inside out, basically. Yes. How 
Seth describes it is like the machine doesn't know how to like reanimate skin onto the body. And that's like the big issue. So it's just like a pile of muscle and blood just Yeah. And it's gross and smoky and it's 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 a, it's a cool effect. But yeah, so even after this really kind of traumatic moment, we see that Ronnie and Seth are bonding and they're getting closer and closer and eventually they just give in to their clear chemistry and make the sex make the sex they make the sex kids when they got together for the first time i was like oh wow that was quick for some reason i like i remember it being more drawn out in the movie but i think that's probably just because i really believed their chemistry and stuff so i just remembered it being more fleshed out so this movie is an hour and 36 minutes long yeah so that's counting credits this moves at a very decent clip yeah like definitely th- so we have to get to like the romance quickly and since we've already kind of established that these two have pretty damn good chemistry seeing as they were dating we don't need all the bells and whistles we just need to kind of get to the point that oh they get together cool move on yeah so after they have sex they're kind of just having some pillow talk and all of a sudden Seth comes up with this idea. He's like, hmm, an experiment. Let's do a quick experiment. So we get to the steak thing. We have two steaks, one of which was cooked normally, and the other is cooked and thrown in the teleporter. Both are eaten by Gina Davis, and the one that went through the teleporter tastes, quote-unquote, synthetic. So Seth then reprograms the system so that it can understand the makeup of living tissue, essentially. So then he puts somehow he got his hands on a second baboon. (laughs) He puts the second baboon in the teleporter with this new reprogramming and it works. It's successful. The second baboon was teleported successfully. Veronica and Seth celebrate they get the champagne out they're very cute they're They're like we're gonna go on vacation together like an old married couple it's so cute but then a note slid under the door yes because it's obviously from stathis who is a weird creepy stalker and who is very jealous veronica's like okay listen i i'm gonna go i gotta deal with something real quick i'll be back so she goes to confront stathis and like what the fuck is your problem and he's like, listen, you work for me. So any story you have about this fucking guy, you have to run it by me. You're, I'm not going anywhere, bitch. And she's like, oh, fine, whatever. Just like, le- you know, like basically just leave me the fuck alone and let me do my thing. And I'll I'll keep you informed, essentially. And he's like, but what about the sex, Veronica? What, what about the sex? And I'm like, oh, my God, I want to fucking kill this guy. Scott wanted him to die immediately. He's like, oh, I can't wait for this guy to die. <laughs> What of my rod, Veronica? What, <laughs> what of, of my, my rod? rod? <laughs> but yeah, Scott, like multiple times throughout this movie, Scott asked me, so he's going to die, right? He's going to die, right? And I'm like, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> so, so, um, so we cut back to Seth. Yes, who is very concerned and a little jelly jelly. And drunk. And drunk. But still, the the main lesson remains, kids, don't drink and teleport. Exactly. Because he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm going. Gonna... I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to get naked like only Jeff Goldblum can. Oh, yeah, baby. Get in this pod, and I'm going to teleport. But 
there's someone else in the park. <gasps> a fly. I feel like, didn't the baboon, like, as he was going in the pod, like, put his little paw on the door? Like, no, Dad, don't go. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did, right? He was like, no, Dad, something's wrong. <laughs> something's wrong. You're, you're too naked for this. Why oh, are you no. so naked? What happened to the baboon after this? Did we ever see him again? No. We don't, right? See, so he's, he's sent out for tests. But at that point, it doesn't matter because now Jeff Goldblum is part fly. Well, we don't know that yet, Scott, because right now he comes out of the pod and he's feeling just energized and beautiful like he's been on a hundred million cc's of steroids <laughs> like he is he is hot and he is ready to go ronnie comes back they make up things are hunky and dory but yeah they're they're having a lovely romantic time together and they're just you know like the cutest couple you ever did see but then slowly but surely we see some changes brewing with Seth. We see increased amount of strength and agility. He's flipping and swinging all over the fucking warehouse. Mm. Uh, he has an incredible craving for sugar. He has an unbelievable amount of sexual potency, which I, I didn't know that was a thing with flies. But, I mean, go ahead. Get it on, Jeff Goldblum. Well, I, I, think, I think it's because... Their lifespan is so short that they kind of have to reproduce very quickly. I get, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I think their lifespan's like a week. Oh boy, that does not bode well <laughs> for what's coming. Um, so Ronnie is a little concerned at first, but she first really expresses concern when she sees uh, some bristly hairs on. Seth's back because he he had a scratch on his back early in the movie and then these like weird bristly hairs appear on his back and she's like what the fuck is this so she snips him off and like takes him off to be tested but he's also getting like these weird sores on his face and when Ronnie brings up her concerns Seth immediately gets angry and like snaps at her and says that he's she's jealous of him and He's just going pretty crazy. You have to go through. You have to understand. Oh, you, you yeah. You need to go through yeah. and be reborn like I was. Mm-mm. Reborn. No, that's okay. That's okay. She, she, he, yeah, she gets upset and he ends up storming out and like marches himself down to a bar. And uh, the bar scene is pretty nuts because he ends up arm wrestling with some like asshole fucking uh trucker or whatever at a bar okay now to be fair he's acting like an asshole too seth but i mean you know whatever it's kind of like a weird thing but he goes into arm wrestle jeff goldblum and then jeff goldblum fucking like rips his hand off basically basically, yeah he like breaks this guy's fucking arm and that visual is pretty fucking too like kind of like it's one of those things where it happens really fast and you have to like look away she's like oh fuck well anytime when you see somebody's like bone uh, yeah, yeah. Jutting out of the skin, you're like, ooh. You, you see some bone. Before you saw some boning with uh, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, and now you see some bones. But after that, he does end up bringing this random bar girl home and fucking her. And he actually tries to get this bar girl to go in the pod. And uh, thankfully, Gina Davis shows up in the nick of time, and she says a, a pretty iconic line here. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. The girl leaves, and her and Seth have a back and forth. They're arguing, and she tells him, 
I got the fucking hairs on your back tested, dude. Like, you're not okay. They, they're not human hairs. Something is wrong with you. They're saying that you have insect hairs growing out of your body. Like, you're not okay, bro. And he's like, you're jealous. I am strong, man. Watch me punch the wall. Man. And <laughs> he ends up kicking her out of the warehouse. And she's crying. There's this whole, like, scene where she's walking down the hallway after he kicks her out. And she's just, like, sobbing. It just You feel so bad. Because even though, like, your their relationship as it's played out in this movie even though it probably spans more time it their your time with them as an audience member is pretty short yes but you still feel for them indeed and because they were so cute together and like they you know they had a bond and like they're hot so you're like yo you guys are so cute no don't don't break up but finally <laughs> jeff goldblum kind of is like okay something is up and he goes back to the test and he goes what happened like what was in the pod and there's something odd and he looks it up and then he notices there was a fly in the pod (gasps) so we now have discovered officially that seth brundle has been fused with a fly and he has dubbed himself the brundle the brundle fry (laughs) here at mcdonald's (laughs) the brundle fry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, no. <laughs> we take flies and just sprinkle them on ew, your fries. Ew, no, Scotty, no. <laughs> They're fries that are each molded to look like shirtless Jeff Goldblum. Uh, no, he, he calls himself the Brundle Fly. And I feel like, um, yeah, we, we now have established our, our monster of the movie. And it is, of course, very tragic because... It is not only the monster of the movie, but it is also our main character who we have grown very attached to in this short amount of time. So you're like, oh, fuck. And then you think about it and you're like, well, how could he even get fixed? Like, there's no way because his DNA is like he's genetically infused with the fucking like there's no. So you pretty much feel like he's doomed from this point. Like, well, you, you like there's no like and granted, like you know this is movie land right this is hollywood so like if they wanted to be you know hollywood eyes like i'm sure there have been sci-fi movies that have gotten out of worse pickles than this just through sheer fuckery right but we're not in a land of fuckery we're in the land of realism believe it or not where this grown man has been fused with a fly well yeah you gotta think of it like this it would be considered a genetic mutation right and most genetic mutations you really can't do anything about. So yeah, Seth is kind of like, well, fuck. fuck. <laughs> um, and now that we have established our our monster, and we're kind of diving into the second more tragic slash scary slash uh, gore, body horror heavy aspect of this movie, I thought we would break it up a little bit before we get into the nittier of the nitty gritty uh, with some of our favorite segment on the show, the, the cast could have Two. So I, I have some cast could have okay. for our main crew here. Okay. Our, our, our Seth and our Ronnie. Oh, okay. So our, our only two real characters in the movie. Okay. Uh, yes, yes. We don't need another Stathis in the room. Our, our Stathis is doing just fine on his own. Um, but I, I do feel like 
this is interesting to talk about because okay. a big part of what makes this movie work, I think, is the chemistry, yeah. as we said, between Seth and Ronnie. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting to talk about what could have been in this particular scenario. Okay, hit me. Well, who do you want to start with? Let's do let's do Seth. All right. So, a lot of people, from what I've researched, turned down this role uh, mainly because of just the fear of all the prosthetics that were going to be involved and the obviously grotesque nature of the film. Makes sense. But some of the people that were either offered or considered for the role were um, Mel Gibson. Okay. James Woods. Okay. Richard Dreyfuss, uh, okay. John Lithgow, um, Willem Dafoe, yeah, okay. John Travolta, um, and last but not least, I think this is the best option actually, Michael Keaton. Yeah, okay. Michael Keaton, I feel like, is the only one that works there, which is why I saved him for last. <laughs> um, I f- not that these other guys would do bad necessarily, but I feel like, I, I mean, Jeff Goldblum, we all know has a very specific je ne sais quoi, right? Yes. Uh, and I feel like he he kills the role, obviously, as he kills pretty much every role I've seen him in. I can't really think of a bad performance I've seen from Jeff Goldblum, although I'm sure you can find one. Um, everyone's got one or two that's like a dud, but... Transylvania 65,000. Oh, well, there you go. But I'll, I'll say, out of all of these actors that I just named, I feel like Michael Keaton is the one that has the most je ne sais quoi. John Travolta, you could argue too, but I feel like that particular Travolta je ne sais quoi maybe would not have worked uh, for the realism of the project. Uh, Travolta's just—he's too. I don't. I wouldn't believe that he's like this, like serious scientist I, guy. I also don't think he could nail the tragedy. I don't think he's ever done yeah, that. Yeah, I just don't see it. Michael Keaton, I feel like Michael Keaton can nail all sides of it. He can. Michael Keaton's the best choice there. Mel Gibson, I think, can nail the tragedy of it because he has done that kind of before, and he has a lot of manic energy that you've seen in like Lethal Weapon and stuff. I just don't know if I could buy him as a scientist. Yeah, I I completely agree. As far as Ronnie is concerned, I I have less people for this, but uh, I believe Gina Davis was not Cronenberg's first choice for the role of Ronnie. He did ask somebody else, and she turned it down because she was disturbed by the script, reportedly. But after seeing her in Terminator in 1984, David Cronenberg was looking at Linda Hamilton to be our Ronnie in The Fly, which uh, I can see for sure. Okay, the thing about Linda Hamilton is you have to separate Linda Hamilton from Terminator and Terminator 2. They are two very distinct... Right. Because in Terminator 2, she becomes the action heroine. Mm -hmm. In Terminator... It's much more of a horror movie. Right. So she does make sense from Terminator Mm -hmm. to be considered for The Fly. Right. But the other two young ladies who were considered for Ronnie in this movie, uh, one of them was Jennifer Jason Leigh. Okay, that's Who we discussed when we discussed Fast Times at Ridgemont High last season. So I feel like she would have been a fine choice. I, I like her. But the other one that I did want to mention, because it is just funny because of the Jurassic Park connection, uh, Laura Dern was considered (laughs) for Ronnie, which I think would have been very funny. Now, if it wasn't Gina Davis, because I think Gina Davis does nail the role. Absolutely. 
Laura Dern would be a fucking great choice. I think so too. I think Laura Dern is underrated. Laura Dern is for sure underrated and I'll admit that even though when she was up for her Oscar for Marriage Story, I was one of the few people who was like, I don't know. I don't know if she does enough in that role to deserve an Oscar. And then looking back, I'm like, yeah, no, I, I clearly was wrong about that. So I, I do think she's underrated. I feel like with the new Jurassic World movie, which God help me, I, I did not see and I have no intention of seeing because we both watched the first two and the, the first Jurassic World was okay. And then the second one was like the most bizarre shit show I've ever witnessed and I don't from what I hear the third one isn't better but the one good thing that came out of it from what I understand is that the originals came back including Laura Dern however they didn't put her with fucking Sam Neill they went out of their way in that movie from what I understand correct me if I'm wrong but they went out of their way to say that she's divorced from her fucking husband so they're both single and you don't have them kiss or anything like we've been waiting for years for this well, and you, you did but you gave us locusts though we needed locusts in well, this dinosaur movie they that's the pro- they don't know when to let shit die but anyway we're getting off topic the point is laura dern is awesome and yeah she would have been great however i do think that the s tier of the fly is what we got i think that the chemistry is top notch and it helps with this movie because of how it is going to get tragic now in the second half. And the reason you're invested in that as much as you are is because you love Seth and Veronica both separately and together. You just want them both to be okay. And they will not be. No, definitely not. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, that was our cast. Could have been. So you agree that we got the best of the, of the, of the crop that we could get, dear? Well, yeah, because let's look at it this way. Gina Davis is an A-plus actress. Yes, obviously. So you put Gina Davis in pretty much anything, you're pretty good. Um, and Jeff Goldblum kind of nails both sides of Seth Brundle really well. And he's eccentric enough that it kind of just works. Yeah. That's really the whole premise of Jeff Goldblum's career is it kind of just works. <laughs> it shouldn't. But, but it, it does. does. <laughs> so now getting back into the movie, several weeks have gone by now since we officially have been introduced to Brundlefly. And... Um, Seth calls Ronnie for help. You can tell just on the phone like how concerned and scared he is and how scared she is for him. She gets there to the warehouse and somehow Seth has deteriorated even more. He's walking on two canes. His face is just completely fucked with like boils basically and just completely misshapen. His fingernails are falling off. (laughs) His ear falls off at one point. Yeah, he kind of looks like the elephant man. Yeah. Another gross, weird thing that happens because he's becoming more like a fly as we go further into this movie. So he's eating food and he has to vomit up digestive enzymes onto all the food that he eats. And it's just he does it right in front of Gina Davis and it just comes out of this like disgusting bile and it's ugh and she freaks out and it's ugh it's just so it's gross but it's also so sad (laughs) honestly though the thing that got me the most is the nails like the nails coming off you're like oh it's just so you can't see it but I'm so yeah yuck 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 oh that is disgusting and what's great about this portion of the movie is like 
every time you see Seth from here on out, you can see the stages of his deterioration getting worse and worse. Not just like physically, but mentally, emotionally, like he is completely deteriorating bit by bit. And you see it not just in the makeup and prosthetics, which are obviously incredibly done, but also in Goldblum's acting. Oh yeah, like Goldblum really does nail the mental breakdown of this character to the point where he's just like gone. Like yeah. there's no more Seth there is just Brundlefly. Yeah. But there's also like a really odd scene that happens in this whole portion that I want to bring up because it's so it's so awkward that it's it's funny. It's still very sad when you think about it. But the, <laughs> there's one point where Gina Davis comes over to the warehouse to check on him and he's just climbing the walls like full on Spider-Man shit. Yeah. And he's he's so casual about it he's just like oh hi i'm up here uh yeah no can can you believe it this is so like interesting look i'm just i'm just crawling on the wall it's like he's so casual about it. like oh yeah i went to the store and i got some bread and i'm crawling on the walls now yeah this is fine like cool and like i couldn't help but just laugh <laughs> and it's crazy because even in the movie they even deleted some things that were gonna make it even more crazy and and sad like there's one scene that i read about like that was a deleted scene that like really kind of showcases the moment where seth realizes he's not seth anymore or he's becoming something else like i read about he he was supposedly gonna be eating out of a dumpster at one point and then a homeless lady was supposed to come up and scream be like oh my god the humanity and (laughs) then seth was supposedly gonna grab her and literally, like, disintegrate her fucking face with his corrosive vomit. And then there was supposed to be a moment where he's, like, feeding on her corpse. And he, like, stops himself and he's like, oh, my God, what have I done? What have I become? So, like we talked about when we did Ginger Snaps recently, if that happens, there is no hope. Like, if he if he kills an old lady and starts feeding off her corpse, there is no hope that Seth is still there. I understand why they cut that, because you still kind of have hope until the very end, pretty much. I don't much. think you do. I think... I really don't, because well, I, at one point... I think mentally you know, he again, he is fucked. Like, you have an idea, like... He's been so transformed at one point, you're like, there's no way. But But you hope that it doesn't get worse. Like, you hope that maybe he'll just... Gina Davis will just kind of come into the room and he'll just be dead. Like, that is is your kind of best hope scenario. That's really sad that that's your hope. Like, like that's, like, your hope for solace for this guy. Well, compared to... No, I get Killing it. a woman and eating off her. I, I get it. Ugh, yeah. That's what makes it so tragic. Because, like I said, when you realize that he's Brundlefly, you're like... How are we going to get out of this one, Scooby-Doo? Like, there's no way we can do this. Like, what the fuck? But then, even though you know that in the back of your mind, like, you're also kind of hoping that something something magical is going to happen to fix this because you, like, it carries you through to the rest of the fucking movie because you care so much about this guy. Like, it's you don't carry on with it for the horror of it. Or, you know, for the for the gore of it or the gross fucking visuals or whatever. 
you carry on with it because you want to see how this story ends for these characters. And that's what I love about this movie. I feel like with a lot of horror movies, a trope of that genre is like, you know, you just fucking make a movie, write up some characters, give them zero personality, and they're just there to be fucking fodder for some monster or a slasher or whatever. And there's not really that care taken with the characters because you know they're going to die anyway. With this movie, it sets up your tragic characters as real people that you fall in love with and then you watch them experience this fucking tragedy slowly. And it's like, it's torturous on a physical level because you're watching it happen in like the grossest way possible. But it's also torturous on an emotional level, which is, I guess, what you want for a movie like this. So it it, it succeeds on both counts. <laughs> Indeed. So finally we get to like one of the last times Gina Davis comes to see Seth and she comes in clearly trying to tell him something but Seth is pretty much gone there is just shreds of him left but they're very minuscule shreds I mean this part I was like about to start crying (laughs) I was like about to start crying and I've seen this movie before but yeah, his face is so grotesque at this point. I mean, the makeup, I can't even imagine what Jeff Goldblum had to go through with this fucking makeup. But yeah, you can see just like a semblance of Jeff Goldblum at this point. But just there's like a little piece of him left and he goes into the speech about uh, insect politics. The speech basically ends with like... I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over. And the insect is awake. I'm saying, I'll hurt you this day. It's so heartbreaking because you see him like fighting just long enough to tell her this because he knows he's going to lose himself. And then she, Ronnie, is just hysterical, crying and sobbing. And she leaves and goes out to a car with Stathis, of all people, who at this point has become kind of a solace to her because she came to him earlier and said that she is pregnant with Seth's baby and she doesn't know what to do because she doesn't know if it's Seth Seth right or Brundleflies Seth this is where Stathis kind of has a bit of a turnaround where you you know he's still an asshole but like you can see that like he does care about Ronnie a little bit at least to the point where he's like okay what do you want me to do I want to help you so when she leaves the warehouse she's like I couldn't tell Seth that I'm pregnant I couldn't do it I want to get an abortion I can't I can't do it I can't have this baby she's terrified and like understandably so but Seth is staring from the rooftops yeah it's very phantom of the opera actually now that I think about it because you have like Ronnie who's Christine and (laughs) Stathis, who I guess is Raul, even though Raul is like a good guy, <laughs> at least in the first fan of the opera. Did you know there was a sequel to Phantom of the Opera called Love Never Dies? And Raul just becomes like a drunk asshole. And it's terrible. But anyway, I'm getting off topic once again. The point is, fucking Seth, of course, is our fan of the opera on the roof overseeing, you know, his woman with another man. And they're talking about the, like getting an abortion and Stathis takes Ronnie to this doctor in the middle of the night and 
convinces this random doctor to give her an abortion and as she's sitting in the fucking doctor's office waiting for the doctor seth literally bursts in like the hulk through the fucking window and carries her away again very phantom like just like (laughs) carries her away and is like please don't kill this baby it could be a piece of me that's that's all that's left of me please don't kill this baby and she's like i can't do it yeah it's so crazy to think about and then there were two things that happened real quick like when she first realizes she's pregnant she has a dream about like giving birth to like a giant worm Oh, yeah, like a giant maggot. And actually, that was another thing. There was supposed to be another nightmare scene where she dreams about giving birth to a baby, I think, with butterfly wings or something. So she's clearly conflicted about having this baby. And uh, there's another point where Seth is messing around with the machine and it basically tells him that, oh, he needs to absorb more human and maybe he can become more human-like. Oh, jeez. So I'm sitting there going, oh my god, is he going to, like, absorb the guy? Is that how this is gonna end? Oh, Stathis? That's how you thought? That's where I thought we were gonna go. Like, he was like, I can, there's still a way for me to become more human. I'll just absorb Stathis. Oh, god. But, uh, no, he decides he's gonna absorb Gina Davis and the baby. <laughs> well, you thought, because he carried her to the roof of the of the warehouse, and when they're talking about how she doesn't feel like she can have the baby Seth says something along the lines of like oh that's too bad and then it cuts and you said oh my god is he gonna kill her and I'm like I don't know what I, I was like oh I didn't think of that oh that would be like interesting but yeah no um so like it cuts to Stathis of course showing up to the lab with a shotgun in tow and um he's like I'm gonna kill this fucking Brundlefly guy and save my woman again very raul of him but um you know (laughs) it does not go well no 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 but yes like scott said seth essentially wants to fuse brundlefly with ronnie and the baby to make the quote-unquote ultimate family but um before he can do that stathis shows up and seth kind of jumps on him and we get the uh, disintegration. We, yeah, we we get really uh, Stathis's comeuppance, I guess, in the movie. Even though by this point, you do sympathize even with Stathis because he's just trying to protect Ronnie. But yeah, what this was a good part. You enjoyed this part. Why don't you tell us what happens, Scott? Yeah, he basically knocks Stathis down, drops acid out of his mouth onto his like hand turning his hand into a bloody stump yeah uh, and they did that practically too oh it looks sure. so gross it, yeah though, part of it did look like they just kind of put like a fake stump with jelly on it it was <laughs> yeah you know one point you were like screaming at the tv that's jello that's jello I'm like scott it's it's blood his hand is gone and then uh brundlefly leans down as stathis is like on the ground like half fucking passed out and he does the same thing <laughs> to his fucking foot. He, like, pukes again, like, on his ankle and severs his fucking foot. Yeah. And actually, there was another deleted slash, like, alternate scene where after he disintegrates his foot off, what do you think Brundlefly did to the foot in this deleted scene? Eat it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> now he's finally del- 
blown with Ronnie because staff is just basically fucked up. Yeah, and we're, he goes we're to, getting really down and dirty now in the very nitty gritty now. And he goes to drag Ronnie into one of the pods and Ronnie kind of like squats at his face and fucking knocks his chin off. Oh my god, this is so sad. He and just completely disintegrates into like the fly yeah, like version of himself. The skin's all coming off now. And this, this transformation is really like... Oh my god. Fucking... It's fucked. It's so fucked. It's, I can't even describe it in any other way other than it's fucked. Honestly, <laughs> if you are into special effects at all... Oh yeah. This is something you need to watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Because it is so... Even today, this movie is what? Almost 40 years old? Mm-hmm. This looks unbelievable still. Like uh, yeah, definitely. It's it's hard to watch. Um but again, I think a lot of that too is just the emotional attachment you have with Seth as a character, but yeah, Seth or I should really not even I feel like I shouldn't call him Seth He's anymore. Brundlefly. He's for sure Brundlefly at this point. He traps Ronnie in one pod, puts himself in another one, and the the countdown to the fusion begins. And um we then watch as Stathis slowly but surely kind of pulls himself up and he grabs the shotgun and shoots at the cables connecting Ronnie's pod to the computer and frees her from her pod. Brundlefly tries to get out of his pod but he can't and the, the fusion process goes into effect and instead of fusing Ronnie with Brundlefly, Brundlefly is fused with just chunks of the fucking pod. So out of the pod comes this like just Frankenstein's monster of mechanics and fly man. It's just horrible. And Ronnie has the shotgun in her hand. Oh my god. And Brundlefly grabs the shotgun and puts it up to his head. Oh, that's the point where I'm like crying and the I oh my god. And that's the thing. Like when I first saw this movie, I was like I didn't think this was going to make me fucking feel things to this extent. Like what the fuck? Th- that kills me cuz it's yeah. like the easiest way to end it at that point is just be like have either Stathis or Ronnie just shoot Brundlefly with no problem but she clearly loves this guy and just feels so terrible for him and can't bring herself to do it so Brundlefly has enough like just a shred of humanity a shred of Seth left in him to grab the gun with like his little fly feelers and put it to his head and she still is like I can't do it I can't do it and eventually she brings up the nerve to shoot him in the head big explosion ensues and she just crumbles to the floor sobbing yep to have a fly baby for a sequel yeah yeah that's the thing too it's like the way the movie ends it also comes off very like Lovecraftian or Twilight Zoney where it's like yeah there's no happy ending there's no like happy epilogue Cronenberg was actually asked about like an epilogue to the movie and there were several options considered some with Veronica having the baby at the end some with her not having the baby but ultimately he determined that like the shocking ending with her shooting Brundlefly was just so much that nothing else would just work at all after that well yeah if you attached anything else to this I've never seen the sequel 
I, I don't I really... D- I really don't want to, to be re- honest I, with you. I really don't have a plan to. I don't want to ruin this with any shitty sequels. And we'll talk about the sequel but a little bit, but yeah, no. But, <laughs> like, it is such a horrific scene. Mm-hmm. This ending is so dramatic and so heart-wrenching and so everything that you almost can't have anything else. You, like... Yeah. He is right. It, like, you would be so checked out at that point right. that if Veronica came back and did a fucking two-minute speech or or even if she just had the baby or what like it just wouldn't it wouldn't feel the same when you ended it you you just your mind at that point is done you're yeah. shot he was quoted as saying once your hero is dead the movie is over pretty much yeah. which is like a good a good sentiment to go by i guess when you're writing a movie it's like once the hero's gone like there's nothing left really to say but yeah, I guess that couldn't be a truer sentiment because obviously, like Scott said, there was a sequel that was uh, not very well received. This movie, The Fly, has like Rotten Tomato scores in like the 90s. The sequel has Rotten Tomato scores in the 20s. So just throwing that out there. I know Rotten Tomatoes is sometimes problematic, but like, you know, that kind of speaks for itself. But just to put it out there. Three years after the original movie, they tried to revive the Fly franchise with Fly 2. And it was directed by the guy who did the makeup for this movie, Chris Wallace. Four people wrote the movie and probably too many cooks in the kitchen, even though there are some people with talent behind the movie. Frank Darabont was one of the writers, but it starred Eric Stoltz, a.k.a. not Marty Marty McFly. McFly. And he played Seth and Ronnie's son named martin's for the franchise's sake yes she does end up having the baby and but i believe ronnie who is played by another actress in the beginning of fly 2 dies in childbirth so the whole fly 2 is about this kid who i'm guessing does evilly things because the fly but well from what i read of the (laughs) synopsis it literally is he is a normal kid who has a fly uh, what's it? Uh, Army? No, oh, no, no. He has like a a recessive gene of the fly. So he's uh-huh. so the evil science corporation is trying to bring the recessive gene out of him. Oh no! Yuck. Okay, fun. Well, um, I have no intention of watching that because I don't want to ruin the magic that is the fly. There is just certain movies that you're like. You really didn't need to have a sequel. Well, that doesn't matter, Scott. They just did a whole fucking new trilogy of the Halloween franchise, even though that has more movies than fucking I don't even know anymore. But, you know, so, yeah, I mean, unless they treat this like Halloween and they just erase The Fly 2 from existence and make a new sequel to The Fly... I'm good. I don't need anything else from this movie. Well, the thing is, unless you can get, like, that's the other thing about, like, the sequel. Like, you couldn't get Gina Davis. Jeff Goldblum's technically dead. Like, Cronenberg doesn't sign on. Why are we doing a sequel when you can't get any of the originals back? Yeah, why do we need anything else? Like yeah, like you said, Stathis comes back, but who gives a fuck? Like, (laughs) who cares? But yeah. Ultimately, I think this movie is fucking great. Um, I'm glad I watched it again. I would watch it again and again. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, it's just, it's an emotional roller coaster, but it's definitely worth the trip. A hundred percent. So, Scotty, how did you rate 
The Fly, released in 1986. It is a great movie. It is arguably probably an all-time classic. I have it as a four out of five. There is so much to like about this, so much of the effects that still hold up to this day. It's not slow at all. It is pretty much straightforward very quickly. I honestly think if you are a horror aficionado or a special effects aficionado, you need to see this movie immediately. I completely agree. I also gave this movie a four out of five. I I could easily be convinced to bump this up to a four and a half also, I think. Because this is the second time I've watched it. I feel like I appreciate it even more the second time. So I feel like if I watched it even a third time, I would probably bump it up. Just because I really do appreciate the storytelling. Even though like there are parts of the movie I wish maybe got a chance to be developed more. Like the romance or even more with like the deterioration of Jeff Goldblum's character. But I feel like with what we got, it's just so fucking great. And the effects still hold up, like Scott said. And yeah, you you still believe everything and you buy everything and you just love these characters. And that's what carries you through to the end. And I, I love it. I'm glad we got at least one cheese less movie in our spoopy month this year. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, it definitely is. Balances a, it out. <laughs> yeah. But next week, we are moving on from Spoopy Month and back into our Marvel Monthly Series. Guys, we are getting towards the end of the Marvel Monthly Series, which you know what that means. It means we're doing Infinity War and then we're doing Endgame. And it's going to be a fucking emotional time. Oh, I don't yeah. know what the fuck. I'm scared. I'm really quite worried oh god we're going from the fly into to infinity, infinity war. war yeah um and after that i think we're gonna lighten things up a little bit because <laughs> because we need to we just we just are gonna need to but until then this has been shoot the flick i'm frankie sparks i'm scott eisenberg uh, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our infinite, marvelous movie adventure. Buzz. Buzz.